I'm going to start off by disappointing Phil because the shirt I'm wearing today is not very interesting. I'm, I'm so, so sorry to let him down. But we're so excited to have you here this morning. And I was here about two weeks ago in this very room um, for something that many of you women came to called Bloom Night Out. Anybody here that night a couple weeks ago? Amazing, amazing. I, in our house, um, I've had the opportunity to listen to Rach kind of prepare her message for that week. Um, and I never would have thought if you would have asked me 20 years ago, what would you be doing on a Friday night? I probably wouldn't have told you hanging out at a women's event. That's just not what I had planned. God had other plans. But you see, I, I love rage so much and it's it's so amazing to see somebody you love step into what God has called them to do and so I will forever sit on the front row sit in the balcony just to soak up the wisdom that she imparts and I'm far from being a a woman but I love 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 what she's done and how she helps in our family how she leads people how she loves friends and it's just an honor for me to get to be there And you know, as I sat there that night, she talked about if she happened to have a Bible boyfriend, it would be Peter. Peter. Well, it's really funny, as she was saying that, when people ask me, you know, who do you most identify with in the Bible, I always say Peter. So we're kind of well matched, because if you know anything about Peter, um, he was a little strong-willed at times, he was a little anxious, he kind of ran his mouth without thinking, he sometimes talked too much. I don't know why you're all laughing at that. But I can still identify with Peter. But even throughout that, God still had a plan for him. And you see, even as she was telling that story that night and using Peter, that's where I was preparing this message. Because, you see, last week, if you were here, Pastor Dana gave an amazing message called Suddenly. And this week, kind of continuing in that one word S title, I'm going to give you a little talk today in our few minutes together called shallow. So if you're taking notes today, you can go ahead and just write that down. You see, when Pastor John came to me and said, hey, would you mind filling in for me when I'm in the UK? I remember when I first started praying about this message, I had finished mowing the lawn. I was sitting outside on our, on our front porch and it was like 85 degrees out. And so I started to think of all these kind of like pool analogies. I started to think about going to the beach. And then as I was finishing this message up on Friday, it was snowing. So I I apologize if you're like, what does this have even to do with anything? Where did you come from? This has kind of been a work in progress in the last couple of weeks because today we're going to talk about going deeper. You see, today we're going to talk about putting your whole life in God's hands and letting him take you on an adventure beyond any you could possibly have even imagined. And today I'm going to ask for some grace because there's some things that I might say that may step a little bit on your toes. I hope you don't get offended, but if you do, I hear there's an amazing message from about four weeks ago on being offended that you may want to check out. If you weren't here, you're like, he's very conceited. But you see, today we're going to talk in Matthew 14. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn to Matthew 14, and I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a backstory on Matthew 14. Because just before this, um, Jesus had told several different parables that you're probably familiar with. He had returned back to his hometown of Nazareth, where he had been rejected. People had said to him, you're just a carpenter. And can I pause here for just a minute, because some of you sometimes fall into that trap too, where either people say that to you, or sometimes you think it yourself, I'm just a blank. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a student. I'm just this, or I'm just that. Can I tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. Because you see, you are a child of God. He has equipped you. He has empowered you. He has called you to step in all that he has for you. So don't for one minute think you're just a something. Because look at what happened to Jesus. They called him just a carpenter. And he went on to change the course of history. You see, we've been in the middle of a series at Underground on Wednesday nights with our students called Vampires. Dealing with people who suck the life out of you. See what we did there? We kept it clean. But you see, this past week, we've been talking about critical people. And I said, you know, throughout your life, you're going to have criticism in your life. There's going to be critical people that come around you all the time. 
You see, and oftentimes we elevate the opinions of others above the opinion of God. You see, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. So today as we keep going, we're going to look a little bit closer at chapter 14. Now, when I was a teacher for many, many years, we used to read this book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And Alexander had all these things that kind of came against him. But it's nothing compared to this day that we're going to look at in Matthew 14. Because you see, it starts off with one of Jesus' best friends, John the Baptist, getting beheaded. One of his best friends taken away. But even then, Jesus goes on to do one of his most miraculous miracles, where he fed the 5,000. And as I was studying for this, I always went through... Sunday school, believing that Jesus just fed 5,000, which is crazy in and of itself. But if you look here in Matthew chapter 21, I'm sorry, verse 21, it says about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. So imagine that day, Jesus just lost one of his best friends. He's around people all day long doing amazing things. I'm sure he just wanted to go retreat, relax, but we're going to pick up in his story starting in chapter 14 verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone, and meanwhile the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat. You see, this morning, we're going to look at three ways that many of us approach our relationship with Jesus. And the first one, if you're taking notes today, is the first way is that we kind of dip our toe in. We dip our toe in. You see, my son Ben, every time we go to the pool, that's exactly what he does. He will always go up to the side and very carefully put his toe in the water. And every single time he runs away saying, oh, so cold, it's so cold, it's so cold. But you see, I imagine that's probably how Peter approached this at first. I imagine he put kind of his leg over the side and dipped his toe in unsure of what was to come. And I think that's how a lot of us probably came to Jesus the first time. I know I did. You know, I went to church for many, many years. I listened to many, many stories about Jesus. But it took me some time to really enter into a relationship with Jesus. And can I tell you today, if you've never done that, the greatest first step you can make in your life is to get to know Jesus. Because the more time you spend with him, the more you'll start acting like him. I said to our students not too long ago, I love experiences over things. I don't like stuff at all. I'm the worst person to live with because I hate when there's this clutter around. It's just not my thing. But I don't, I just don't love stuff. And I'm the hardest person I always hear to buy for every single Father's Day, every single Christmas. I have a birthday coming up next month. And I know Rachel's already stewing because she'll come to me and say, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm like, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. You see, the things that I really love in life is I love when we go out of town somewhere and I have these like, real, this is really nerdy, these collectible Starbucks mugs, like from different places that we go. I love that. I love shoes. And I like t-shirts. Like, that's basically it. I can count it on one hand. Those are the only things I like. But you see, I think if you were to talk to me, what's probably the thing that I love the most is I love my Bible. And that sounds very churchy and Christian-y to say. But you see, this Bible has gone with me a lot of different places. I don't really go anywhere without it. It's always with me in my vehicle. It's always in my backpack. It's always in my hand. Because you see... There's so many times that I've spent in the morning reading God's word and not just reading it, studying it. And as I study, I'm listening 
for God's direction in my life. You see, my Bible is full of notes. You know, I write in the margins all the time. If God gives me a word or I come to a service or I listen to a podcast and there's something that just jumps out at me, I jot it down in my Bible. You see, there's so many times where the word of God has met me at my worst possible moment. The times where I wasn't sure where to go and I needed some direction and it felt like my entire life was crumbling around me. You see, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we have to empty ourselves and let him start to fill us up. And one way we do that is just spending time in God's word. You see, I remember when my son Liam, he's 11 now, but at the time he was about three or four years old and we took him to swim lessons. And every other kid his age would go, the teacher would call them over and they would sit on the side. Liam would not. He would hold on to my legs like they were going to throw him in the deep end. They would put the floaties on him and legit every single Saturday morning, it was so convenient. Rach always worked on Saturday mornings and I was the guy that had to do it. I, I would, every single Saturday morning, I would have to take him, pry him off my legs and hand him over to the instructor and he would like splash like he was going to drown right there. But you see, the thing that started happening with Liam, he started off in the shallow end because it was comfortable. It was safe. But you see, the older he got, the more he learned, the farther and farther he made his way down the pool. You know, that's so true for us as Christians. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you turn your life over to him, he starts to take you into deeper and deeper waters. You see, I found that out. I followed Jesus since I was seven years old. And you see, if I still had the same relationship with Jesus today that I had when I was seven years old, man, I would be a very immature Christian. I would have missed out on a lot of things. Same thing, picture me at a pool. If I'm still hanging out in the shallow end of the pool as a 40-year-old dude, I look like a creeper. I'm a six-foot-five man hanging out in a three-foot pool. It, like, comes up to my knees. They're calling, like, the authorities, like, hey, there's a weird dude in the shallow. But you see, the further and further I've gone on, I've moved beyond the shallow in my walk with Jesus. You see, my dad and I, we used to, every single summer, go to Florida and visit my aunt and uncle. Every single vacation. And I remember we would always drive down there. And as you got closer and closer to Florida, there were these billboards for Gator World. I always wanted to go to Gator World. My dad, probably the last like four or five hours as we're getting closer and closer to Orlando, he was probably so sick of me talking about Gator World. You see, one day I kept waiting for him to say, we're going to go. And he woke me up. He's like, hey, get your stuff. We're going to go. And I was like, yeah, Gator World, finally. Because you'd see, I'd heard about it from a friend. It was so cool. You would go there, and there would be like this big pen of alligators, and they would take live chickens, throw them up in the air, and the gators would come and snatch them. Like, I want to go to Gator World. See, my dad got me up that day. And he said, no, we're not going to Gator World. I have something even better for you. And I was like, there's nothing better than seeing alligators rip up chickens. Like, I don't know what you have planned, but that's not it. And so, you see, I had a, I had a little bit of a bad attitude. And we got to this kind of beach cove area. And he's like, we're going to go scuba diving. I'm like, hmm. No alligators, but all right. And then when I walked out a little bit further, it was covered with algae. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And you see, the instructor heard me and he said, wait until you go a little bit deeper. Wait until you go beneath the surface. And so as we started to look under, it was crazy. There were starfish and there were sea turtles. It looked like finding Nemo down there. And it was really, really cool. And you know what? I think that's so true for each of us. As Christians, you see, when you trust Jesus, he always has something better for you. You know, he always says to us, 
there's something better when you go deeper. Just wait till you go deeper. You see, the best things in life will never be found on the surface. You will only ever find them when you go deeper and deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You see, the second way we approach our relationship with him is we climb down the ladder. When we go to the pool every single time, my wife does the exact same thing. She will go to the ladder and she will legit hold on to it and she will start walking, taking the first step. And every single time she has the same face. It's always... <sighs> and then she makes sounds like she's speaking in tongues. She's like... <laughs> like the Holy Spirit has just fallen on her as she's getting in. Every single time she makes the same thing. She goes step by step. You see, for many of us, when we start a relationship with Jesus, it's exciting. We start coming to church regularly. We tithe. We maybe even serve with like three-year-olds. Hallelujah, if that's you. There's like a special anointing on you. You see, we start talking to people about Jesus. We start doing our quiet time. You see, we get pretty committed. It becomes a routine until it doesn't. You see, there's times in our life where after a while the excitement wears off. Real life sets in. Jesus isn't answering your prayers as quickly as you want him to. And then you suddenly realize that the church has flaws and the people have flaws and your pastors have flaws. And then we get to the, the next stage a lot of times and I hear this all the time and when I talk to my friends in ministry, it's a common thing. I'm not growing at that church. I'm not being fed in that service. And then they'll tack on a myriad of reasons for it. It's not relevant. The worship's too loud. The preacher's too boring. That tall guy tells too many stories. He's too attractive. It's distracting. <laughs> I, wish, I wish somebody would say that. But you see... We have all these reasons for it. And what starts to happen is we hop from church to church. And we start blaming the pastors and we start blaming the leadership team. And I, I do think there's something to it. I think we as churches need to evaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it. Are we doing the best that we possibly can? Is our Sunday morning, are we giving relevant Bible-based messages? If not, we need to go back to the drawing board. Or maybe on Wednesday nights, we're not providing the classes that are going to help you grow. Or maybe we haven't done a great enough job of communicating what growth track is and why we want you to be a part of it. Or maybe we just don't do a good enough job of connecting you with other people and sharing what our small groups are like and how you can grow with other believers. You see, we'll take some of those things on, but let me tell you, the church is not fully responsible for your spiritual growth. It's not. If you're coming here every week and you're expecting one message to last you the entire week, it's not going to do it. It's kind of like if you go out for lunch after church today and you expect your Sunday lunch to last you until next Sunday, you're going to be hungry. It's not going to keep you full until then. You see, you have to be intentional. I was talking to somebody just recently. You have to be intentional in your relationships. You have to spend time with that person. This is the same with our relationship with Jesus. You have to be intentional. You have to carve out time to be in God's word and be open. God, whatever you want to say to me, I'm open to it. I have to have an active prayer life. Maybe you even read books by Christian authors or you're listening to podcasts or you have somebody in your life that's kind of your accountability partner that you're doing life together with. It's so, so important. When you come on Sundays, come with a hunger, an expectancy to grow. Don't come sitting back ready to criticize everything that happens. And I'm going to sit on my phone because this guy has already talked for about 14 minutes. I'm already bored out of my mind. 
Trust me, I say that because I've done it. I've been in church for 40 years of my life. I remember being in the nursery eating Cheerios. I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. And, you know, sometimes I've had hard conversations, and it's not always popular what I'm about to say. I've had to say to people, you know what? Riverside may not be the place for you in this season of your life. You know what? I want you to find where you're going to grow in your relationship with Jesus, where you're going to grow in a relationship with others, where you're going to get planted and rooted and serve. I want you to find that place. And if that's Riverside, awesome. We love, love, love to have you. Because you see, what starts to happen is if you don't find where you belong, you start pushing away the church. You start pushing away the people who are speaking into your life. You start pushing away your relationship with Jesus. You start to think, I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. And that's what happens in here with Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus and he tried to do it on his own. As we pick up there in verse 29, it says, So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. See, I love that. Last week, my, my brother, he, uh, he lives in Champaign, and he called me up, and he said, hey, do you want to come to this band competition that's happening at, at U of I? My nana loves it. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't love it. I don't get it. It's like 16 hours of marching band, and I have to be very careful in the way because I have a great contingent that comes every Wednesday from Limestone that are involved in marching band. I love you girls. I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't know. There's like somebody playing Bohemian Rhapsody like on a piccolo or something. Like I don't, I don't understand it. And I said to my brother, I said, I will come, but I'm not going to the marching band. You see, I love my brother. I love my brother-in-law. I love my family. But I don't love to go to stuff like that. You see... I think so often that's the same way we do with God. I will, but. You see, we kind of come to him with kind of a written out contract rather than a sold out confidence that he is who he says he is. I will, but when you start to heal my marriage. I will, when you start to give me a better job. I will when my kids stop arguing with one another. That one's fresh. That one's fresh in our family right now. You see, but God almost always transforms us before he transforms our situation. God almost always does something in us before he changes around us. You see, Miranda and myself and a few others, we're going back to school. We're getting some different accreditation. And, and so we're sending our transcripts and all this kind of stuff. And I got an email from the lady a few weeks ago. And she said, um, you realize you have a lot of schooling under your belt. And I went back and thought about it. I'm a 40-year-old, almost 41-year-old dude. And I think I've been in school, a school setting of some sort, for like 34 or 35 years. Like one day I'll get it. I just keep being held back. But she said, you know, you have an associate's and you have a bachelor's, you have a master's. Like, would you like to enroll in our doctoral program? And I was like, yes, I would. Just so I can wear that white coat. And so we signed up and I, I got the syllabus and it's all completely done online. You have a professor and they, they lay it out for you and you can finish one class 
in about 40 days if you work on it every single day. Well, I'm a little bit of an overachiever. I like to get things a little more accomplished. And guess what? I spent every waking free moment working on this first class. And I got it done in 12 days. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. It's stupid. And, I, and you probably are thinking, there, oh, it has to be easy because it's correspondence. Like, legit, it was two big books. I had to listen and watch these lectures. I had to read journal articles that were really, really boring. But I finished it all, and I was so proud of myself. But shortly thereafter, I realized I had done all this, but at what cost to my family? You see, last Sunday was a tough one in the Richard household. After church, somebody came up and they talked to us about our son, Ben, our our eight-year-old, and just not paying attention, not listening, like throwing lightsabers and stuff like that. I was like, hmm, he gets that from his mom. (laughs) And so we talked through that, and then later that night, we went to a movie with some friends, and almost as soon as I sat down, I got a text from our 11-year-old, Liam, And he wanted something. I said, no, you're not going to have that right now. And he wrote something back to me. I'm not going to tell you what it was because I want you to still love him. And I texted him back. I said, don't you ever say that to your dad ever again. Send. And then he proceeded then to write something back, which is, and I go, I hope you're enjoying the PS4 right now because when I get home, it's mine. And with like 19 eyes, send. And then about two-thirds of the way through the movie, Rachel's phone goes off. And it's our daughter, 13-year-old. She's like, get home ASAP. And we thought it was like the house was burning down and it was like the dumbest thing ever. So we got back home and we got on our porch and I was like, okay, this cannot happen. Like, let's talk it through. And, you know, you think you have everything settled and you're all on the same page. And the next day, I was just driving in my car and God really spoke to me in the car. I don't know where God speaks to you, but for me, it's like in the most crazy places. It's usually in the car or in the shower. Okay, some of you are looking at me like, you are the freak in the shallow end of that pool. But that's where God speaks to me. It's quiet. I'm by myself. And God really convicted me. You know, you talk about being intentional, but are you being intentional with your family? And so as I drove home, I walked in and I said, hey, I need you all just make whatever clothes you have on, come down, throw on some shoes, we're going. And like, where are you going? I go, it doesn't matter. Just get on your stuff and let's go. And we drove to McDonald's. And we ordered off the dollar menu. We sat down at the table and we had a little family meeting. Because all great conflicts can always get resolved over a McFlurry. (laughs) Write that in your notes. That's good. You'll come back to that. And so we sat down and we just started talking through. And Rach and I laid out, hey, here's the expectations here are the issues we're having right now. But then we flipped it around and we said, what do you need from mom and dad? What do you need from us that you're not getting right now? What can we do to help you? And I'll tell you, we had a really, really honest conversation. You see, I'd like to say that the rest of the week went perfectly. It didn't. The other day I was telling our, our, our littlest one, I go, can you pick up the steps for me? And he goes, why? Which if you're a parent, that's like the worst possible word to ever say to a parent, to your dad. And in those moments, I kind of become my mom. And you're like, because I said so? Which you always say, I'm never going to say that. And he said, why again? And I go, because it's Pastor Appreciation Month, that's why. <laughs> And I was just trying to be funny, and he looked at me like, you are crazy, and he, but he started to pick him up. Like, that's going to be my go-to. Pastor Appreciation Month is going to last till March. I'm just going to keep using that one. But you see, during that time, God started to soften my heart towards my family and my kids. And in that moment, 
God started to transform me before he started to transform my situation. You see, many of us as Christians, we often settle for kind of ankle deep or even knee deep water. But I feel like God calls us to the third thing. He wants us to cannonball like Kevin McAllister. And what I mean by that is I love Home Alone. I love Home Alone. I remember I was 13 years old when the first one came out. The next one came out two years later. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. It's amazing that he endured the same thing in a totally different city. It's amazing how that all worked out. But my favorite scene in the second one is when he comes down, he goes, does anybody mind if I practice my cannonballs? And the old man, old men there sitting there like, no, sure, go ahead. And he comes out and he takes a running leap pulls his legs up and splashes in there. That's our Liam. I'm telling you right now, that kid is Kevin McAllister. You never know what's going to come out of his mouth. He's a little rough around the edges. Don't know where he got that from. But you see, I love when you see Liam at a pool because he doesn't care about anybody else that's around him. He doesn't care that he might lose his swim trunks in the process. All he cares about is landing that cannonball. You see, when we cannonball into what Jesus has for us, it's total abandonment. Where we put everything else aside and say, God, I'm going to leap in to whatever you have for me and my life and my situation and my family. And you dive into everything that he has for you. You see, I want to look at one more thing from Paul's life in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, which is Peter, its owner to push it onto the water. Sue, so he sat in the boat. That's why I'm going back to school again, so I know how to speak. When I'm a doctor, I'll never make mistakes. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish it began to tear A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. See, I love that last line. They left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything behind. You see, when we came back for our very first underground of the school year, my challenge to students is that they would be sold out. That they would be sold out for Jesus. Because see, when you're sold out for something, you can't stop talking about it. You can't stop thinking about it. You see, there were several years ago where I met this girl, and she was hot. And I told everybody about her. I couldn't stop thinking about her. This would be really awkward, but I'm talking about Rach. Because some of you are like, this could go really, could be an awkward lunch that you're going to have after this. But you see, shortly after we met, I, I went on a family trip that we had planned months and months in advance, and I had left cards for her each day and these little like small gifts for her to open every day that I was gone. That's where you say, aw, thank you very much. I left that in my notes, a pause for aw, and thank you. But you see, while we were on the trip, I started to miss her. And we were supposed to be gone almost a week. And I remember after about three or four days, I came home just because I missed her. You see, In relationships, you can't be half-hearted. You see, I don't just kind of like my wife. I love her. 
You see, and following Jesus doesn't work if you're half-hearted. You see, when you're sold out for Jesus, every decision you make is directed by God. When you're sold out, people start to look at you differently because you don't act like everybody else. You start to look at the world a little bit differently. And oftentimes, God gives you a vision of your future. He gives you different dreams that you never had ever even considered. He'll start having you cross paths with unexpected people. You see, I often say that so often in life we pass by people that Jesus stopped in his tracks for. We pass by people that look differently than us, that love differently than us, that worship differently than us. When God would stop and that would be the first person that they talked to. You see, over the last 14 months, this has been an amazing, amazing experience for us and our family to walk into. But recently I've realized that I've kind of just started to live in a, a Christian bubble, if you will. You see, before I, I took this, I was around non-Christians pretty much every single day. Now, the office that I'm in, I'm surrounded by Christians. And yeah, on Wednesday nights, we have students that are coming that are trying to figure out their place, and they haven't quite entered into a relationship with Jesus. But most of the time, I spend my days around Christians. And you know what happens sometimes as churches? When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, one of the first things that we as the American church sometimes say is, okay, you need to leave your old life behind, including your old friends. Because in order to step into what Jesus has for you, you don't want to get tied in to what they're doing. And so we get rid of them, we come to church, and then things like Christmas and Easter come up. And we stand on a platform and we say, this would be a perfect time to invite your unchristian friends. And then you say, well, I don't have any unchristian friends. Because not too long ago, you told me to get rid of them. You see, for many of us, you can't reach people who don't know Jesus unless you know people who don't know Jesus. You see, there's this amazing pastor called Carl Lentz that is the lead pastor at Hillsong, New York. And I've read his book that came out about a year ago, about twice. And I'm always struck by how he started in ministry. And it said, he specifically went to places where he knew he would find people that were not going to churches. So he would go to places, and this is going to kind of rock your world a little bit. He would go to concerts and bars and nightclubs because he knew that he would find people in there that just needed Jesus. And you see, I started to pray that God would put people in my path that needed to hear the love of Jesus. Unexpected people that I never really expected. See, last week, my friend Josh and I, we had bought tickets many, many weeks ago to go to the comedy club here in town. There was a guy that was there um, that was on this show called America's Got Talent that you may have seen. And about five years ago, um, he came in second place on this. And kind of his thing was, he says, I'm the second most talented person in America. And he lost to a Japanese guy. And so then his other bit of it, I'm the first most talented American in America. And so we went to it and it was fun and great and all this kind of stuff. But we had seats near the front. And I was a little bit nervous when we got there and we were near the front and it went fine, it was great, but towards the end, he was kind of riffing with the crowd and he pointed to me and he goes, so what do you do? And I was like, I'm a pastor. And the crowd's like, oh. <laughs> and it was fine and it was painless and it all turned out good. But when we went up at the end, we just wanted to thank him for coming to Peoria and all this kind of stuff. And the first thing he said, he goes, are you really a pastor? I said, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, I know this. What kind of church do you go to? And I kind of told him about Riverside and the Dream Center and kind of what our aim is here. And he talked about a friend that he knew that went to church. And he goes, so what's like your purpose? Like, what are you trying to do with students? And I stood there and I just kind of talked to him. I said, here's my heart for 
for students, and here's my heart for just people in, in general. And I realized I had been talking for a, a long time. And I said, man, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. I didn't mean to take up much of your time. And he goes, can I tell you? He goes, I have chills listening to you talk. Because he goes, you're not like every Christian that I, that I think about, that I see on the news, that are picketing different things or very judgmental. He goes, if I was in Peoria, that's the kind of church I'd want to check out. And that's a credit to you. That's a credit to those of you who come every single week that make Riverside your home. I said to him, man, we're in a group of imperfect people made whole by a perfect God. You see, and as we got done, I apologized. I said, hey, I'm really, really sorry. And he goes, what are you guys doing tomorrow night? And I looked at Josh, and I don't know. He goes, you guys want to come back tomorrow night? Yeah, we can come back tomorrow night. And again, we sat through the show, and we went up and, and talked to him a little bit. Thank you so much. And it was just fun, and, and he goes, I'm going to get something to eat. Do you want to come and get something to eat with us? And I go, yeah, yeah, sure. And it was amazing. We sat and talked to this guy until 4 a.m. And it wasn't all about church, but you see, he came into Peoria Friday morning, and you see Thursday night, he had gone through some stuff. And he just kind of opened up that the life that he always had planned about and dreamed about and the opportunities that he thought would be there just have never come to fruition. And he just sat there and he just kind of talked and let it all out. And as he, we left, he goes, thank you so much for this. And I was like, no, thank you so much. And you see, in the last week, we've kind of talked back and forth Hey, I'm praying for you, man. Let us know what's going on. You see, because when you start to open up your life to Jesus and say, man, take me wherever you want. Use me however you want. God will take you up on that. He will put you in places that you never, ever dreamed about with people that you never even thought possible. You see, as Brian said, Love Peoria is coming up in about nine days. And if you don't have your tickets, I'm telling you, get it right now. It's going to be an unbelievable night. You see, Bob Goff is amazing. And I've read his books multiple, multiple times. And I think my all-time favorite Bob Goff quote is, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. I love that. I love that. Because you see, your life was created to reflect the image of God wherever you go. That people see something different in you and that Jesus lives in and through you. You see, it's easy to forget what Jesus has already, already done in our lives. It's easy to forget that feeling when we first entered into a relationship with him, when we first met Jesus. But I wonder what would happen if you started to fall in love with Jesus all over again. I wonder what your life would start to look like if you started to let him completely direct your life. You see, this song we sang this morning, Who is Like the Lord, I first heard it a month ago. And I think I've heard it and listened to it every single day since. Because you see, they talk about that line about redeemer, restorer, mercy. You see, and I love a God that is my redeemer that he restores me, that he sees something in me, that he could use me as a messed up person that continues to screw up day after day after day. But you see, the fact that I was a failure in so often in my life was just an opportunity to show that God was faithful in my life. That God kept showing up. You see, Oftentimes I haven't trusted God with my whole heart because I was so comfortable living in the shallow, trying to do things completely on my own. But you see, I could be like those 11 disciples that just stayed in the boat and watched, or I can be Peter. 
You see, because Peter could have been very comfortable just sitting in that boat and watching Jesus come toward them just like everybody else. They could have still experienced the same thing, but it wasn't enough for Peter. It says in here, Peter wanted to go deeper. He decided that it wasn't enough, so he got out. You see, when you start to go deeper, get ready. Because I guarantee you the waves of life will come crashing over you. I guarantee you at times it'll feel like you're sinking and the water is rising above your head. But can I tell you, with Jesus at your side, he'll lift you back up. He'll be there with you every single step of the way. You see, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You see, on those Saturdays, we kept going to swim lessons over and over. And as I said, Liam made his way further and further and further down the pool. And I remember one Saturday morning we went and he went all the way to the opposite end of the pool and he got on the diving board and I remember watching him and he took off the floaties and just threw them on the ground like a boss. And he stood back, got at the end and he ran forward. He jumped off that diving board. He tucked his legs under, made a woo noise and splashed into this huge cannonball into the water. You see, for some of us today, that's what you need to do. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and where he wants to take you, where I'm gonna take a running leap and I don't know where it's going to land. I don't know what God's gonna take me and it's scary and overwhelming, but trust me, God has you. He's not gonna let you drown. He's gonna take you in places that you never expected. He's gonna have people cross your path that you never in a million years would ever have expected to do life with. He's gonna take you on an adventure far beyond any you could ever have even imagined. You see, the last thing I wanna share with you in Psalm 18, he reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Some of you need to hear that today. I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what your week looks like. I don't know what your family situation looks like. I don't know what your marriage is in right now. I don't know the financial crisis that you're in, but take heart in that. He delights in you. You see, for our 10 year anniversary, Rachel and I went to this all-inclusive thing, just the two of us. And it was amazing just to spend time with one another. And every day, I would swim out to this buoy that was far out into the ocean and Rach got nervous every day that I would do it, that sharks were gonna eat me. I was like, well, we had a good 10 years together. It's all right. Didn't really say that to her. And each day I would swim out there and finally on one of the last couple days, she got up the courage to try it herself. And she got about halfway out there. She goes, I can't go any further. I can't go any further. I go, Rach, it's okay. I said, you may not be there yet, but turn around and look how far you've come. You see, that's so true for some of you. You may feel like God could never use me. I've messed up too much. My life is littered with all these mistakes that I've made. Can I tell you, you may not be there where you feel God is calling you yet but turn back and look how far you've come. You see, instead of condemning you for your past, Jesus wants to call you into the future that he has for you. And so this morning, maybe your heart's beating out of your chest because you know for so long you've just dipped your toe 
into your relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you slowly climb down the steps. And maybe some of you for the first time today, you're like, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. That could change this morning. Or maybe you've had a relationship with Jesus like me since you were seven years old. But today he's calling you to go deeper. He's calling you to run into everything he has for you with abandon and just dive into what he has for you. If that's you, will you be bold and just stand up right where you are? If today you say, God is calling me deeper, I'm sick of standing in the shallow, I'm sick of being just above the surface, I know that God is calling me to something a little bit deeper. That I'm tired of just being ankle deep or knee deep, but today I'm all in. I'm giving my life, I'm giving my relationships, I'm giving my marriage, I'm giving my family, I'm giving my kids, I'm giving everything over to him and I don't know what that's gonna look like, but today I'm believing that God has a plan and God has a purpose. And when you step into that, get ready. Get ready to see what God will do because it's gonna surpass anything you could ever have even imagined. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every single person that's here today. And God, I thank you that you see something in us that we couldn't even see in ourselves. And so I pray for every single person on their feet today, God, that you're working on their heart. I pray that they would be intentional about their time with you. That God, that they would make time just to spend in your word, that they would spend time just listening to your leading in their life, God. And I pray that you would just call them into a deeper relationship. I pray that you would give them courage that no matter where you take them, that as far surpasses anything we could ever even dream for ourselves. And so God, I thank you for who you are in my life. I thank you for what you're doing in my family's life. I thank you for what you're doing in my church family's life, God. And I truly believe the best days of this church are still to come. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing in each and every one of our lives. In your name, amen.